0: Welcome to the View Magazine's Rebel Justice Podcast. This week, we will be hearing from Tanya Bassett, a former probation practitioner and currently the Press and Communications Liaison at NAPO, the National Association of Probation Officers. The National Probation Service is a fundamental part of the criminal justice system, assisting courts and prisons from the conviction stage of a defendant's court case all the way through their supervision unpaid work requirements in the community, support programs, rehabilitation, as well as parole assessments for those serving sentences and their reintegration back into the community. Tanya will be taking us through the challenges faced by probation services across the country and how political decisions over many years have led to the dismantling and weakening of this valuable resource available not only to those appearing before courts, but to lawyers, prison officers, court staff and judges. How can a society continue to flourish if the needs of the vulnerable are not met? How can a criminal justice system be effective without probation's input in providing full assessments as to risk management? And how can a community benefit from offenders who would like to repay their debt to society?
1: Welcome to Rebel Justice. I'm Alex Bastian, and this is part two of a two-part series, interviewing Tanya Bassett from the National Association probation officers. We've had a real insight into the challenges faced by such an integral institution that deals with the rehabilitation of offenders. The probation service has long provided an invaluable service to courts and prisons in order to assist the most vulnerable in our society. However, with very limited funding from the government, probation officers are struggling to maintain their requirements which have led many to leave for other careers. In terms of community's impact and what businesses, places of worship, schools and other institutions can do are you finding uh, that there is still that engagement taking place or is it becoming also more challenging to find places and businesses that will take on uh, offenders and ex-offenders?
2: It's a mixed bag, really. I mean, there are some organisations that have been doing amazing work to promote employing people with lived experience. So if we look at Timpsons, the cobblers, for example, Timpsons has been building and building on their employees with lived experience over many years now um, and starting off within the custodial setting so people on day release getting employment with them and then coming out of prison to be able to take up full-time employment within his business and providing that training Um, so that's just sort of one one organisation that's making a quite big difference I think there are still concerns around some organisations I think that some people see a criminal uh, conviction on somebody's record and immediately panic and don't know what to do and I think that's one of the things that's lost in terms of probation being such a centrally government run organisation in the civil service now is that not being embedded in local communities. So historically, when you had probation trusts, you could work locally with employers to say, well, actually, we've got a group of people that are currently on probation, are interested in doing some training. And you can set up and commission your own training programmes where employers come in and provide training in their expertise two people on probation so that they're able to then find gainful employment afterwards. And that being embedded in local communities is really important. And we're missing that now. We don't have that in this current huge organisation that you know, we're, we're lost in the civil service. There's no scope really to do that on a local level anymore.
1: So if I were an employer and I was interested in engaging more with uh, offenders or ex-offenders, I could just call my local probation office and say, this is my business. This is the kind of need that I have here. Is there a way that we could uh, work together on a limited or a more long term?
2: I think it is something that employers can do. But I think that's the problem is that what we have is regional probation directors for quite large regions if we if you think of Wales is one region in itself you know so one region is actually a country so the ability to engage at that local level and the powers that the regional probation directors have is limited as to whether or not they could commission that on a local basis and that's the bit we've lost that that connection um, if you look back to previously in, historically probation had the same number of trusts as there were police forces so you were much more embedded in a, a smaller region a smaller area able to keep those connections up now it's it's much um, the scale of size has increased and therefore you've lost that connection does that mm-hmm. make sense
1: absolutely mm-hmm. you touched earlier on the number of patient officers that have left the service just tell us a bit more about that as to why you think the main motivation has been for them to walk out of the door
2: there seems to be two main drivers so if we look at more experienced staff that are choosing to leave or take early retirement for example a lot of that is is staff burnout so you know we've got members we have a workload management tool for case management only and we've got members that are on 140 150 percent of the workload management tool so that means they're effectively doing seven days work in five days week in week out so it's not sustainable it's a huge level of stress with the work that you do your biggest fear is a as a probation officer or probation service officer, is getting what's called a serious further offence on your caseload. So that's somebody who's known to probation who goes on to commit a murder or a serious sexual offence. That then requires a high level of investigation and is incredibly stressful for practitioners going through that process. But if you're working at a level that you know is not manageable and is not sustainable and you know that you're missing things from the work that you're doing because you simply don't have time to get everything done you're carrying that burden of what if a serious further offence happens because I know I'm not working at the quality I should be because I'm holding far too many cases to do that. So that's the reason why we're seeing experienced staff leaving. But then if we look at the um, trainee probation officers and newly qualified officers coming in in the last few years, we're seeing a massive retention problem there as well. So, People are getting part way through the training and realizing this isn't quite what they signed up to they're overworked they're in an environment where their experienced staff are really stressed and on burnout or they're being placed in an office for their training where there are no experienced staff. So they're leaving partway through the training. And then we have have newly qualified officers who should have a protected caseload for the first 12 months of qualifying, so they can sort of start to, to learn their trade a bit more detailed. But we're seeing them leaving as well after a couple of years because... They've got their training, which has been paid for by the taxpayer. They've got a qualification. They don't want to work in the working conditions they're being expected to. Um, If you've just qualified, and we had one example of the day after qualification, a female member of staff was on 150% of the workload management tool. Literally overnight, she had a huge amount of cases allocated to her in London and was already talking at that point. If I can't, I can't manage this. I can't cope. And I think that's a real problem in terms of the working conditions are so poor. It's really affecting the retention of new staff as well. So the government keeps talking about fifteen hundred recruiters recruits every year, and we're really boosting the staffing levels. But actually, if you look at retention, we are losing staff. Attrition is at a highest rate the probation has ever experienced. So we're currently at about nine percent attrition rate. We've never historically gone over 3% really. So we've got a real issue in terms of retaining staff going forward.
1: Uh, you touched upon serious offences, and I think in particular sexual offences. Uh, just let's focus a bit on supervision. And I suppose mapper is a good area and something to discuss, especially when it comes to sort of terrorism offences. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about what is required in terms of certain certain offences and certain offenders and how much pressure is put on probation to continue that role of supervision post a sentence?
2: So multi-agency public protection panels are made up of a variety of um, largely public sector, some third sector, depending on where you are. So people working in probation, the police, housing, children's services, so quite a, a wide array of, of organisations sit on, on MAPA panels to determine whether a client requires MAPA intervention depends on their risk of harm as much as it does their, their offense, offending type as well. So you may have somebody who, for example, has committed a sexual offence, but actually they have a relatively lower risk of harm in terms of the circumstances around that offence and they may have stable housing and not have any children involved etc so that person could be managed at what we would call mapper level one which is the probation officer dipping in and out of other agencies as and when they need to mm. Mapper three is for slightly more complex cases where the risk of harm has increased usually to medium or high risk of harm so you will sit around um, with other agencies looking at potential issues around housing. Or if children's services were involved in that particular person's life, what involvement have we got? Uh, child conference plans in place, etc. Do they require to? Are they required to sign the sex offender register? In which case? Have the police got involved and have they also provided an offender manager to work with that person? And then the top level, which is Mapper 3, is when you're looking at the most critical few, as we call them. So they're going to be high or very high risk of harm. You're talking with heads of service. So rather than practitioners from housing and children's services, you're talking to directors of housing associations and children's services to get that highest level input into managing that person's case whether it's move on plan from a hostel, for example, or are we looking at taking those children into care? So there's, that's that's the mapper side of things. Um, a mapper can be called by any agency. It can be called by the police as much as it can probation, but it tends to be those on probation where a mapper is called if there's a particular concern about somebody. But in terms of managing other cases, I mentioned about if someone is required to sign the sex offender register. So Probation work really closely with the police sex offender unit. That person will be allocated a police officer as well as a probation officer. We'll do joint home visits, we'll do joint supervision meetings where we check that that person is adhering to both sides of their sentence and that's critical at the point that their sentence ends because obviously the police side of things will continue potentially indefinitely depending on how long they have to sign the register for but they will have police input post probation so it's important that that handover is is done really well and that we share intelligence about you know police have done a home visit without probation and they're concerned about something they've found at the house for example so we may then do an unannounced joint visit to see what what's going on in the home environment that that's that may be a risk or or may be a factor to offending behavior.
1: And I suppose the way I'm thinking about it is we don't want that revolving door of uh, probation officers coming in and out because the process that you are providing is from beginning to end, isn't it? It goes through a number of years, certainly a a number of months, and having the same person from beginning to end, providing that input, having had that face-to-face interaction with that client is going to be, I mean, you're not going to get a better uh, way of figuring somebody out, having an insight into, into, into an individual than you are by having that continuation from beginning to end, are you?
2: No, absolutely. And there's some more research being published this week, actually. Um, I can't remember. It's, it's come from a, a number of academics, um, there's an interesting blog on Russell Webster's website. Russell does quite a lot of blogs about recent research, etc. But this looks specifically at the quality of probation supervision and desistance or reducing reoffending. Probation's historically always been an evidence-based service. So, what does the evidence tell us about what works in terms of reducing reoffending? And a critical part of desistance has always been the building up of professional relationships between probation practitioner. And the client as being a fundamental factor in reducing reoffending. The recent research um, that's been published has reiterated that, and it's reinforced the need for that, the importance of those relationships going forward, and consistency is vital to build that relationship up. If you have um, a continuously, like, let's use the term revolving door of probation officers or probation practitioners, that becomes really problematic. Not only for the practitioner who's constantly trying to get on top of new cases they don't know anything about in a relatively short space of time, but also for the client who is constantly having to repeat why they ended up where they have and not getting any further down that that route of their journey because they're just having a new officer every six months and the first question is going to be, I know you've said this before, but tell me why you're here. And you're just, that's all they're doing for the duration of their sentence. And they're not going on to, what are the underlying factors that causes the offending behaviour? What can we do to help them address those factors, those criminogenic needs to reduce their reoffending going forward or to develop victim empathy? I mean, it, it's always happened occasionally in probation. I mean, going back when I was still in practice, I picked up, I moved from a different office and I picked up a caseload that was very high in terms of numbers and that caseload had had, I think I was their third probation officer in three months and it was probably one of the most chaotic caseloads I ever managed. There was a lot of reoffending. there was a lot of recalling back to custody because there hadn't been that level of consistency and building up of a professional relationship at the moment that is now happening more often than it ever has before that constant turnover of staff partly because of people leaving partly because we have incredibly high sickness rates at the moment as a result of staff burnout we also have because of staff shortages some cases that just never get allocated a permanent practitioner so they're being seen by somebody different every single week never mind you know every few months so it's really damaging, and it damages the effectiveness of probation and that concerns me that that will then be used as the stick to beat us with when people look at the performance figures and the reducing reoffending figures and they say, "Oh well, probation doesn't work in its current form, so this is the ideal opportunity to bring in yet another organizational change or reform, and that 's concerning and the The MOJ, the Ministry of Justice, can have a very short memory when it comes to what's effective and what isn't effective and what those underlying causes of failures can be. So I would say at the moment we have a systemic failure in probation because of the challenges we've faced over the last 10 years, but also the current organisational change. And I think there is a reluctance for that to be acknowledged by the Ministry of Justice in terms of of why we are where we are
1: when is the uh, next sort of spending review or what are you working towards uh, is there a date when you're hoping there's going to be something more positive or sadly something negative
2: um there is potentially a spending review with the autumn statement in terms of of going forward am i optimistic no i'm not i'll be honest i think that um I've been quite impressed with some of the current Justice Secretary's decisions on policy. I think Alex Chalk, he's got some good ideas that could make positive steps forward, but I don't believe he's got the political backing to make fundamental changes. Um, I think there's a bit of tweaking around the edges. and There's a bit of policy, civil service drawn drawn up policy around organisational change. But I don't think Alex Chalk has either potentially the political will to go strong himself, or he hasn't got the political backing to make any real fundamental changes, such as, for example, to take probation out of the civil service. I don't think there's the political will for that. And those are the things that in order to happen, we're going to need a real focus on the spending review.
1: No, no, I can understand that. Um, Just to move on to something positive as we close. Um, I know probation often work with other Uh, organizations i know there are a lot of programs that are given out alcohol rehabilitation programs drugs you mentioned certain things in terms of curfews home detention tags and things like that are there any schemes coming up that the public can be excited about some good ideas
2: um in terms of outside agencies that there will be variation geographically in terms of drug and alcohol services so they're they're commissioned much more on a local basis in terms of third sector organisations tend to be based in a particular area. So it might be, you know, the Herefordshire alcohol service that only works in that county. So that would be very locally commissioned for that probation service. So we've still got an element of that local connection. I think in terms of what probation is providing itself, excitingly we are looking, well, we're working with the employer at the moment at developing a new um, accredited programme for those on probation supervision. So, at the moment the probation service provides um, a general offending behaviour programme, which is kind of tries to meet needs of problem solving and general causes of offending, we also do Building Better Relationships, which is focusing on domestic violence, and we also do Horizon, which works with those that commit sexual offences. There is a new programme being designed that will create kind of one programme. And I was really nervous when I first started going into talks around this. I thought they were going to try and do a one size fits all approach to accredited programs. What they're actually doing is a kind of uh, a general offending behavior program, and then we'll add on certain elements. So there will be separate modules for those that have committed domestic violence, for example, and a separate modules for those that commit sexual offending. So it isn't quite as a one size fits all. But I think it's, it's exciting because it sees it sees probation actually looking at the current research and reviewing their own programs and how effective they are and how can we improve what we deliver now we know different things about desistance and what's effective the downside of that is that it will be the same program that's delivered in prisons and the motivation for this seems to be because prisons deliver lots of programs and they're finding it a bit confusing so it's yet again another kind of being swallowed up by the prison service to a certain extent but I think going forward in in terms of you know NAPO has campaigned to improve probation for when NAPO came into existence in 1926 I think uh, the year after the offenders act which created the probation service so we've been around the block a, a while now to know what we think Probation is based on what works and how it's effective. You know, we we campaigned strongly to get probation out of the private sector, which we successfully did. And we're now in the public sector. So I would say, you know, watch this space. NAPO will continue to campaign to get probation out of the civil service, released from prison, as we call it, embedded in our local communities and really focusing on those going back to basics so that we can actually focus on those pre-sentence reports, reducing re-offending, but also making sure we protect the public at the same time.
1: Mm, no, that's brilliant. Well, look, let's end on a real high note. Just tell me a, a sort of feel-good story from your previous experience. Your are uh, maybe one individual that you came across and uh, not such a good time in their lives. And then suddenly a few years later, you've heard of an impact or bumped into them somewhere can you share a story with us
2: yes so um i supervised a young white male um who had come from a a not deprived background a, a relatively comfortable background but had completely lost focus and gone off the rails and messed up his gcses and been out of work since school had got into drinking too much and ending up in fights on a Saturday night in the town centre. He got into quite a serious uh, violent altercation and and was sentenced to a probation order, which included unpaid work and supervision. And we used some of his, he he, he was really unmotivated to do anything. I was trying to get him into um, what we we then used, uh, learn direct for our employment and education side of things. But he was reluctant to do that. Unfortunately, he then was involved in an accident. He got hit by a lorry at the side of a road with a wing mirror and um, had a very serious head injury that took a long time for him to recover from. But when he was able to, fairly early on in his recovery journey, he decided to engage in uh, our education services, partly to help him with his cognitive thinking but also to give him something to do. He, you know, he wasn't in a good place to resist engagement with probation. He went on to win an award for the best learner of the year that year and successfully completed his probation period and had an, had employment to go to. I then bumped into him after I'd left the service, uh, probably about five years ago, and he came up to me and said, you probably don't remember me. I did. I did remember him. I hasten to add. But he told me that he was working full time, he'd gone on to get further qualifications and to thank me for for getting him on the straight and narrow, as I think he put it. Um, and I actually bumped into him again just a few weeks ago and he, he again came up to me and, and gave me an update on how he's doing, he's, his work's going really well, he's on a career path rather than just having a job um, and just again wanted to say thank you and he said probation turned my life around. And I don't know, I'd probably be in prison by now if I hadn't had, had that input when I had it and the support that I had to to really straighten myself out.
1: Wow. Um, I guess and those sorts of stories are what keeps you going in your role uh, and keeps you fighting the good fight. Thank you so much, Tanya. That's very insightful and enlightening and i think uh, a lot for us to ponder in terms of what's going on but no no we're i'm sure i speak for the public to say we're so grateful for everything that you do and your contribution to society right that wraps up our thank
2: you very much
0: and this concludes our podcast for today thank you tanya for the insightful conversation on the national probation service and our criminal justice system and for leaving us with plenty to reflect on including how the government is not utilizing what could be of benefit to taxpayers, like having offenders on probation instead of in prison. Rebel Justice Podcast is produced by The View magazine, which is the only platform by and for women in the justice system, where, by amplifying their stories, we shine a light on injustice, gender inequality, and abusive systems. Check out our quarterly magazine to stay on top of all that is relevant and important in the justice system, And find out how you can activate your rights and citizenship to create a meaningful, lasting change. You can subscribe to The View at theviewmag.org.uk and follow us on our social media. We are Rebel Justice on X, formerly Twitter, and The View Magazine on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thank you.